I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I never believed in... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Bigfoot, not in a million years. I mean, I'm a rational man. A practical man. I deal in facts and figures, not wild speculation or folklore. So when my wife and I decided to take a weekend trip to Opal Buck, a county park campground near Hepner, I didn't give the legend of the Sasquatch a second thought. We were there to collect rocks, my wife and I. It was a hobby we both enjoyed, a way to get out into nature and find hidden treasures. We had our car and a trailer, and we had stopped at the campground to set up for the night. That's when it happened. I was outside, checking the hitch on the trailer when I saw movement out of the corner of my eye. I turned to look, and there it was. A creature, unlike anything I had ever seen before. It was standing behind the front of the car, peering at us with its big brown eyes. Its head was pointed like a cone, and it was covered in shaggy, matted fur. At first I thought it was some sort of prank, a person in a suit or a mask. But the more I looked, the more I realized that this was no man. This was something else entirely. 
The creature would stick its head up and look at us, then hide again behind the car. It was almost like it was playing a game, teasing us, daring us to come closer. And then it would disappear, up a bank or behind a tree, as if it had never been there at all. I tried to take a picture with my phone, but it was too dark and the creature moved too quickly. My wife saw it too, but she wouldn't let me get my rifle. She said it was probably just a bear or a large dog and we didn't want to hurt an innocent animal. But I knew better. I knew that this was something else entirely. Something that shouldn't exist. I wanted to investigate to find out what it was and where it came from. But my wife was scared and she begged me to stay inside the trailer. We spent a restless night, my wife and I, listening to the sounds of the forest and wondering what was out there, watching us. In the morning, we packed up and left, without ever seeing the creature again. But I couldn't get it out of my head, the way it moved, the way it looked at us. It was like nothing I had ever seen before, and it defied all logic and reason. I started to research, to read about Bigfoot and other cryptids. And the more I learned, the more convinced I became that what we had seen was real. I know it sounds crazy. I know that people will laugh and scoff at me. But I don't care. I saw something that I can't explain. Something that challenges everything I thought I knew about the world. And it's out there somewhere waiting for the next person to stumble upon it. Maybe it's a monster. Maybe it's a figment of our imagination. But I know one thing for sure. I'll never forget that night at Opal Butte and the creature that changed my life forever. During a covert operation deep in enemy territory, my team of Navy SEALs stumbled upon a sinister plot orchestrated by a notorious Russian international terrorist organization. These nefarious individuals had acquired a weapon prototype of unimaginable destructive power. With the potential to unleash chaos on a global scale, it was imperative that we prevented this weapon from falling into the wrong hands. Time became our most relentless adversary. As we navigated treacherous terrains within Russian bases in Eastern Europe, we moved swiftly and silently, relying on our extensive training and unyielding determination. The intel we had gathered led us to a heavily guarded enemy stronghold, and we devised a plan to infiltrate the base and retrieve the components of the weapon. Under the cover of darkness, we launched our attack, executing precise maneuvers to neutralize the opposition without raising any alarms. The element of surprise was on our side. We managed to secure the secret weapon's vital parts and were ready to make our escape. However, as we emerged from the base into the frigid snow-covered landscape, our eyes fell upon a sight that froze our very souls. There, in the pale moonlight, stood a creature unlike anything we had ever encountered. It possessed a humanoid form, but was grotesquely distorted. Its skin, glistening like glass, appeared to be covered in a thin, clear liquid. The large claws on its pale, human-like hands glinted ominously. Its face was a nightmarish visage with milky white skin and eyes tinged with the bluest veins. The only thing in motion was its long, serpentine tongue swaying in the wind. Its antlers black as if molded from darkness itself, adorned its massive deer-like humanoid frame, towering at a staggering height of seven to eight feet. 
Reacting with trained instinct, we opened fire on the creature, unleashing a barrage of bullets, but it was not enough. In a devastating display of strength and ferocity, the creature struck back, impaling one of our team members with its razor-sharp antlers before retreating into the surrounding woods. We rushed to our fallen comrade, desperate to aid him, but it was too late. He succumbed to his injuries, leaving us with a heavy burden of loss. Knowing that our mission took precedence, we quickly called for extraction, our voices laced with both urgency and disbelief. A helicopter was dispatched to retrieve us, hovering above the snowy landscape as we boarded, carrying with us the haunting memory of the encounter. Now, as we sit in the churning blades of the helicopter, the reality of what we witness settles upon us. We contemplate the formidable challenge of conveying this unimaginable creature to our skeptical superiors. How could we possibly explain the inexplicable? The daunting task of relaying the truth and validating our encounter fills us with a sense of apprehension. Our loyalty and dedication will undoubtedly be put to the test. I was on a woods park in Canada with other exchange students. I had to go to the restroom and they were a bit far away from where we were. Another peer decided to go as well. When we arrived there was none around. One single restroom in the middle of nowhere. I told my friend joking, if a bears comes out we are so dead there's no one around to help us. We both laugh and just like that we both saw in small fraction of a second a big brown pelt coming out from the woods. I didn't have to look at it completely. I knew what it was, and in my mind, only the word run pop out. There was a very primal response. I started running the fastest I have run ever in my life. I wasn't in control of my body. We both kept running nonstop for what it seems like five minutes straight. Then senses came back to me, and I stopped. The other student told me to keep running, and I told him if the bear was behind us, it would have got us already. We cannot outrun it. We made it with the rest of the group, told them what happened. We think we saw a bear, but we are not sure since we just started running. Ten minutes later, some bikers run into us and told us there was a report of a bear nearby. I'm an Eagle Scout and my troop goes on what we call high adventure every year around the start of summer. This past summer, we decided to go to Isle Royal Isle, a little island to the east of Minnesota and north of Massachusetts. We were going to hike about five miles in and come back after a few days of swimming or hiking, but someone on our ferry convinced my scout leaders to do the whole 35-mile hike around the island. Most of the guys in my group didn't want to do it, and I especially didn't because I have a metal screw in my ankle, but we did it anyway. It was four days of hiking, ranging from six, ten miles per day. It was probably the most grueling thing I've ever physically done, especially with the titanium in my foot. About twenty miles into our hike, we met a guy named Bill. I really wish I had a picture of the guy. He was one of the most unique people I've ever met. But later that night, we talked more and more until he wanted to tell us a story about something that happened to him and his group of kids. He was watching over on the island. Now the part of the island we were in at the moment was called Wendigo. 
And that alone freaked me out because the Wendigo is supposed to be a mythological cannibalistic spirit that takes physical form of a tall, lanky, humanoid shape. It's supposed to mimic sounds it hears, so footsteps, voices, etc., to lure people out into the woods. Supposedly this was part of the island inhabited with that creature. It still freaks me out. Bill told us that one night, with his group of 10, 12-year-olds who have never heard of the Wendigo, came to him one morning saying, Bill, why were you trying to scare us last night? We heard heavy footsteps around our tent and heard you grunting and saying our names. Bill was super perplexed because he had slept through the night. He didn't go out of his tent, and his tent was a decent distance away from the kids, while being relatively close is to make sure they were okay. But he slept through the night. He says that experience terrified him, especially when the exact same thing happened with a second group of kids who had never heard of the spirit or the lore of the island. Then he started hearing the voices of his kids outside of his own tent, too. He told us that the Wendigo was real and that we had to be careful and give it respect. He told us about the origin of the creature on the island and how it came to be the Wendigo. He was a firm believer that this creature was on the island with us, and even more so that it was nearby, and that we would certainly have some sort of encounter, directly or non-directly. Sleeping in an open covered tent that night was honestly the most scared I've ever been camping, and I've camped far from society dozens and dozens of times. The worst is when you have to pee super badly, but you're way too mortified to go out into the woods alone to pee. You can't just pee next to your tent, and nobody is going to wake up to walk with you 20 feet into the woods in the dead of night. I think we were all just high-strung from hiking and stressed out, but every twig that broke, every animal that called out, every step we heard from animals near our tent made us all jump. At one point, one of my guys freaked out because he heard footsteps come from far away and get, like, right behind him next to the tent. I don't know about that, but it certainly set in the hysteria. I'm honestly grateful nothing happened to me personally to make me a real firm believer in stuff like the Wendigo. But man, it felt like a horror movie all night. The other guys in my tent swore they heard footsteps, noises, grunting sounds, etc., but I'm skeptical since they could have just been enjoying the fear. The worst kind of fear is the kind that settles in deep and stays there. That kind of anticipation and suspense that makes your body go into full fight or flight mode at a moment's notice. It was really freaky. I don't know if I believe Bill's story or if it's just a matter of coincidence. But I know that Bill believes Bill. I wish I could talk to him again more about his experience. He's the first grown man I've ever seen kind of tear up in fear while just talking about his close encounter. Ever have that happen, where you just start tearing up in fear? I know that feeling, and I saw that he really felt that his encounter was real. I'm a skeptic for sure, but I never like to say I can disprove anything. To be honest, I'd kind of like to see what Bill was so terrified of. Maybe someday. On second thought, screw it if I'm ever going back to that island. No thanks. I'm freaking myself out just remembering this. I encountered a black triangle UFO just a little over 20 years ago. 
Myself and three of my friends were all sitting in my backyard on my picnic table, the top of it so we were all facing the same way. Looking up at the clear night sky one evening in the small town we lived in, we had just left the bar and were chatting about our night and smoking a joint when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we saw something really big. All black, triangle in shape, with no lights whatsoever on it, appear in the night sky. It was a split second that we all saw it move from one end of the sky to the other, and it covered the stars as it did this. It was that massive, easily the size of a football field. No joke. All of us just looked at each other and exclaimed at the same time, Holy T, did you just see that? It was insane. I'll never forget it. Then a few weeks after the incident, I had a very vivid dream that I was on a very cold operating table with what I could only sense as beings that were not human, and they were tickling me each time they touched me. Almost like a faint electrical current, there were more than one touching me in different places all at one time. It was weird because I could feel their physical touches while asleep like I was actually there. I wasn't able to see anything while this was going on. I'm pretty sure I had something over my face, so I couldn't see them or anything around me. However, I didn't feel threatened or scared by them at all. The dream ended abruptly, and I woke up in my bed. It seemed so real to me, and to this day, I fully believe I was abducted while asleep so they could study me. I have not seen the black triangle in the sky since or had any more alien abduction dreams, thankfully, but it was definitely one of the strangest occurrences for me to date. Has anyone else had a similar encounter? I was walking my dog through a clearing in some woods at about 12 a.m. midnight. I was looking straight ahead, but out of my peripherals. I thought I seen smoke gathering above my head. When I looked up, I seen seven dimly lit circular lights in a bow pattern slowly hovering away. No noise at all. It was a massive aircraft, either aliens or an unknown military aircraft. I went back there a few more times to see if I'd see it again, but had no luck. I told like everyone I knew about this experience, but everyone looked at me like I was crazy. I'm 100% positive of what I've seen. One morning I woke up and noticed my camera was on top of the sofa opposite my bed. I knew I didn't put it there because it was a very expensive camera and it could very easily fall from this place. I had placed it in my cabinet. I went over, picked it up and turned it on and clicked the button to view photos. There were hundreds of photos of me sleeping, all seemingly taken from the back of the sofa. I was literally so freaked out I couldn't stop crying. I lived alone. It was just photo after photo of me sleeping. The photos were taken in quick snap, where the camera takes approximately one photo per second. I later realized the camera didn't even have a quick snap setting, so technically it was impossible for the camera to take the photos at all. The timestamps suggest all photos were taken between 2 and 3 a.m. I've never figured out it happened how the camera got to the sofa or how it is even possible for a camera with no quick snap to quick snap, but I still have a yes with the photos on it, and it still freaks me the fuck. Edit. 
to answer a few questions. I am safe. This happened several years ago. I now live with my partner, and we have several dogs and a very good home security system. There was no sign of forced entry to my home. I owned the home, and I had the locks changed when I moved there because I felt uneasy about living alone. Good hunch. I did go to the police. They did not give a shit. They said it's probably a friend playing a prank. My mom had a key to the house. Weirdly, this thread has actually jogged my memory about something potentially related I had completely forgotten about that was sitting deep, deep down in my memory bank. Approximately 12 months before the camera incident, I received a letter in my P.O. box that was typed, not handwritten, and addressed directly to me, saying if I did not agree to meet with the sender, they would kill me while I sleep. To be honest, I did say thought it was a stupid joke because I couldn't think of anybody that would want me to meet with them. And I bend the letter and never told anybody. I got three or four of those threatening letters demanding that I respond, but no actual way of responding or no hint about who it was from. The sender wrote like I should know who it is, but I did not. One letter did provide a time and place to meet, but of course I did not attend. That was the final letter. I did move house and change my postal address shortly after the camera incident, though. I am alive right now, so obviously they are all talk, no action. It was April 16, 2012. I live near Spokane, Washington. I was returning home at about 4 a.m. when, just off to the left of my driveway, something stood up in the field and looked at me. When it saw me stop, get out, and look in its direction, it then ran or squirmed across the street into the trees. At first I thought a deer, but it was upright and running in a weird way, like an octopus. I think I saw it dragging one tentacle. It then went from tree to tree like it was circling me, so I walked very quickly to the house making sure not to take my eyes off of it. When it was going from tree to tree, it would stop at that tree and peek at me from one side or the other, then move to the next tree and do the same thing at each tree. So when I went in the house, I grabbed a flashlight to see if it was a person. Mind you, I live in the country, so I don't really think someone was sleeping in my field and dragged their sleeping bag across the street. Another thing that helps me know it was not human was when I shined my flashlight on it, it's eye shined green, not red like a human would. After I saw the eye color, I went back into the house waiting for it to try to get in or peek in my windows, so I laid on my couch, looking, waiting, and listening. Nothing happened. So I just tried to go to sleep and get over it. By this time, I was in denial and thought, oh, it was a deer. The next morning I thought about what I saw and walked out to the field where I saw it. There was nothing but I remembered what it looked like. It was upright in a light shade of blue, which could have been from the moonlight. It was really skinny and tall with a teardrop, shaped head that kind of just formed into the body. No shoulders and long arms that looked like tentacles. But that's all I remember and now I can say it was flat. Out the scariest moment I have ever been through. I have seen ghosts and UFOs, but nothing like that. It still scares me just thinking about it to this day. Just a week or two before my event, there were reports of strange lights over one of my city's neighborhoods that were on the news the next day or the day after. 
I didn't think twice about this because I was in denial about what I saw until like two weeks after it all happened. I started realizing that it could be possible that I actually saw an alien putting the two events together. I'm a former Chicagoan, and I was on a visit last week. I stayed a night downtown at Sofitel, Chicago, Magnificent Mile, 20E Chestnut Street. In the early evening, I looked out our window from the 30th floor and saw what I, at the time, assumed was a maintenance man or something on the roof of a shorter building below ours. But it moved too fluidly and disappeared too quickly for a man. It was gray in color and shape. I would definitely describe it as a male, with no clothes. I'd say it was about six feet tall. There were no unfurled wings. It occurred on Sunday, September 10, 2017, at approximately 7 p.m. p., and the thought of it hasn't left me. I couldn't see a door or anything that would allow a person to slip out of sight. It was odd to see someone something on a roof with no rooftop features like a pool or outdoor seating, and it didn't look like there was any window, washing, construction, etc. That would easily explain why a person was on a high-rise roof and then disappear so quickly. I told myself it was nothing and forgot about it, but on a whim I called my friend. He'd been with me, and he told me that there have been lots of sightings of humanoids in Chicago. I immediately panicked a bit, and I have to tell you, I am very scared of things like these. I hope it doesn't mean any harm to me or anyone else. Luckily, I live in Nashville. Are these things vindictive? In the Idaho forest, my son Samuel and I had an interesting experience in the summer of 2010 that made me a believer. I had just returned from Iraq a few months earlier, having served two tours in the United States Army. I was pretty confident in my abilities and the capabilities of my weapons. I was also confident that I was very familiar with this location, as I've been coming here almost annually since I was 14 years old on backpacking trips. It was still a little too early to go backpacking, as there was still a lot of snow that had not yet melted. But I had to get the trip knocked out because I was due to report to a new duty station in a couple of weeks. Seven years prior, a friend and I had walked to this lake. There was something odd, I noticed. On the way up was a footprint. It looked like a child's foot, probably about seven inches long. It was clear and deep. This trail's covered with sharp-edged shale, so a child walking up here barefoot would be highly unlikely. The funny thing is, I bent down to look at the print, but walked off and didn't think any more about it. The place we walked is about ten miles in. We only saw two other people on the way in. They went to the first lake for a few hours of fishing, then rode out on motorcycles in the evening. Besides us, there are only two people a couple that were signed into the trailhead, and on the way into the lake, we had about half a mile to go. I heard a couple of gunshots from a high-power rifle. It was odd as most backpackers carry a pistol, if anything at all, and rarely shoot up here. Upon arriving at the campsite, I noticed the motorcycle that the couple had come in on chained to a tree. They had apparently ridden the motorcycle as far as permissible and hiked into one of the further legs. 
Sam and I set up the tent and started a campfire. Sam was not feeling well, so he laid down for a nap. I hung a bear bag, filled canteens, and all the rest to be ready for the next day's hike, which was going to involve a lot of walking. Around 9.45 p.m., just as the sun was making its last appearance, I peered out the mesh window of the tent as I had just settled into my sleeping bag, and what I saw out the window was the biggest grizzly bear that I had ever seen. It was on the other side of a large stream that separated the camping area from the other side of the trail. I reached for my rifle and unzipped the tent just enough to get the muzzle of the rifle out. The first warning shot went unheeded, and the second made the bear walk back a bit. I watched knowing that the bear was not leaving. I had Sam keep the weapon oriented on the bear, and I broke camp in about five minutes. We had about ten minutes of daylight left, so we put some distance between us and the campsite. We had our headlamps for light on the way out, but the batteries were going out. This is an area where a fire had come through many years ago. It has a lot of standing and fallen dead trees. At this point, we heard wood knocking. It was a phenomenon that I was familiar with because I enjoyed watching Bigfoot programs. It's not as if someone had a baseball bat and was pounding on some of these old dead trees. Sam asked me if that was normal. I hadn't spent a lot of time outdoors. I knew it was not, but affirmed to him that it was indeed normal. By that time, an unseen creature was pacing us. Even though the terrain it traveled through was uneven and encumbered with deadfall. Sam and I were on a trail and could not distance ourselves from it. Sam was in the lead, and when he turned his head to speak to me, at one point his headlamp illuminated four sets of eyes, three green sets and one red set. I heard claws on trees in one of the sets of eyes. The red set came directly toward us. I told Sam to run as the eyes were slightly ahead of us. To the left, I ran toward the red eyes and fired off some rounds into the fallen trees just off the trail. I did this in hopes of scaring the animals away. I've read Bigfoot is glowing red eyes. I can't say for sure if there may have been wildcats in the trees or something explainable. All I know is that I felt an irrational fear which was telling me to get out a little further on. We met up further on at the creek that paralleled the trail. The stream was probably about five feet deep at that point and out of nowhere. A huge rock was thrown into the water. It was obvious the rock was huge because of the acker-plunk sound it made as it went into the water. I told Sam to run, and I kept a watch to see if anything was coming up from behind us. I faced rearward on the trail, allowing Sam to get some distance away. I saw what looked to be a large figure, I would say, was approximately eight feet tall. Across the trail behind me, probably fifteen to twenty yards back, there was just enough light to see it move, and also that the figure was not dark in color. I figured it must have been gray, as I would have not seen a darker animal. I decided not to take any more shots, as I was dark and my mind and nerves were frazzled. I questioned my own sanity and felt that I must be losing my mind, it would probably be safer not to fire any more warning shots, as I had fired six to eight shots already. I put the rifle safety on and ran after Sam. Among the passengers the other night bound for New York from the west on the Day Express was a wild man who occupied a seat in smoking car number 153. 
He was accompanied by James Harvey and Raymond Boyd, his captors, both of whom belong in Paducah, Kentucky. They had three second-class tickets to New York, which privileged them with three seats in the smoking car of any first-class train. When the day express arrived at the Broad Street Station, at eight o'clock James Harvey ran down the platform into the restaurant and purchased a box of sardines and some sandwiches for the wild man's supper. His companion remained in charge of the wild man. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. And the wild man was dressed in a citizen's dress and wore big cloth shoes. His hair reaches nearly to his waist and falls over his shoulders, completely covering his back. His beard is long and thick, while his eyebrows are much heavier than those of an ordinary human being. There is nothing imbecilic in the wild man's manners or actions. He cannot talk and seldom makes any sound except a low growl. Like a leopard, his actions are as much like those of the hyena of the zoological garden. Raymond Boyd, who seemed to have perfect control over the wild man, said his body is covered with coarse brown hair as thick as the hair on a horse's hide. The palms of his hands looked like the paws of a bear in his fingernails, which were over an inch long, resembled the claws of an eagle. He was first seen in Paducah County 13 years ago and was known as Mum the Hermit, because whenever anyone accosted him, all he would say was Mum's the word. He lived in an old pine hut in the woods for about five years and was seldom seen by anyone. Finally, he abandoned the hut and took up his abode in a cave under a ledge of rocks, known as Lizard Rock. A little over six years ago, two or three citizens of Paducah County, while out hunting, saw him running into his cave without a stitch of clothing on him. Three years ago, it was discovered that a thick coat of hair had grown all over his body. Boyd and Harvey built a man trap for him, and it took over three days before he entered it. He was not afraid of any bird or beast of prey, but ran terrified away from any human being who approached him. It took two days to accustom the man, beast to their presence. The tinkle of a small dinner bell they used had great influence over him. He watched the bell intently, but would not touch it. Some time ago, a farmer missed a calf and two sheep which had strayed off. They were tracked to Mum's cave here. All trace of them was lost, and it was supposed that he devoured them in his cave, which he had occupied for the last seven or eight years. 
Boyd and Harvey found the skeletons of small animals and the skins of over 50 snakes. Some of the skins belonged to the most venomous species of reptiles. The floor of the cave was alive with red and green lizards, and hundreds of toads hopped about. The wild man ate the box of sardines voraciously, and the two sandwiches which were handed him were greedily pulled apart. He ate the ham and threw the bread away. Whenever a train passed on the opposite track, he crouched down in the corner of the seat terror, stricken. After the train passed, he would put his hand to his ear and listen with a look of animal cunning stealing out of his restless eyes like a panther about to pounce on its prey. Every time the engineer blew the whistle, the wild man would grab the back of the seat in front of him with both hands and hold on until the whistle ceased blowing. Boyd had a little tin music box which he manipulated with a crank. The tune that it played was empty as the cradle and it was ground again and again to the great satisfaction of the ex-hermit who sat and looked at it silently, but would not touch it. When Conductor Harry Smith took out his glistening nickel-plated punch to cancel the tickets, the wild man watched the punch intently until he heard it snap. Then he got down in the corner of the car and sat fairly shivering with fear and set up a low howl, supposing evidently that Conductor Smith was about to wing him. Boyd and Harvey said that there was a story to the effect that the wild man had originally come from North Carolina and that during the war he had been a sharpshooter on Bald Mountain, and that shortly after the war he had murdered a whole family of settlers in the mountain and lived. Both Boyd and Harvey appear like shrewd fellows, and they expect to make a fortune out of their prize. Their great anxiety and fear is that the authorities will interfere with them and claim that the man is simply a lunatic and place him in some institution. They had the snakeskins in a box in a baggage cart together with some other curiosities found in the cave. Boyd said that the wild man will not touch anything but fruit and meat, which he eats ravenously and much the same as wild beasts. Cigar smoke bothered him a good deal, and he kept driving it away from him with his clawed hands. When the train arrived in Jersey City, the men took a carriage and said they were going to take the New Haven night boat and avoid a day crowd. I was in middle school in my gym class, and we were told we would go outside on the field today. It was the end of the year, so our gym class had finished the whole curriculum for the year. We had a choice of playing football, soccer, four, square, or just walking around the field talking with friend. Me and my friend, for the sake of privacy, I will call her Jessie. We picked walking. Only about 20 other kids out of about eight picked walking, me and Jessie being two of them. We were walking around, as normal, and on two of the sides of the field, it is just woods for miles back. We live in northern New Jersey and Appalachia, so we knew what lurked in those woods. We were taught what to do at a very young age. Unlike many of my supernatural encounters, this one I had a friend by my side. Me and Jesse have been friends all year, so we had gotten to know each other pretty well. And me and her were obsessed with talking about Appalachia folklore and supernatural creatures, so we knew what signs to look for. Anyways, we were walking as normal, and then by the third time around the field on the woodside, we started hearing the leaves crunching. At first, we thought it, it must have been a deer or maybe a fox. We never thought it would be more than that, but it was. 
Where the woods cuts off, there's a hill. Not very tall, but still a hill. So we started hearing birds chirping, but they didn't sound right. It sounded like a computer was trying to make birds sound, but just wasn't getting the sound right. We were now a little confused and mildly disturbed, but we just kept walking. The gym period is 50 minutes, so we had at least another 30 minutes left. We, we sucked it up and kept on walking. But when we went by the woods again, we heard the bird again, but this time louder and more demanding, kind of. Me and Jesse then were skeptical about this whole situation, but we just kept walking. Then about 20 seconds later, we heard footsteps in the woods again, this time much closer and faster. Now, when you're in Appalachia and a supernatural creature is stalking you, the best thing to do is to walk fast away, but not too fast. But we panicked and ended up running. It didn't catch us when we ran, so we got less worried and kept walking. We didn't want to tell other students or the teachers since they obviously wouldn't believe us. But we were still very freaked out. But like I said, we kept walking. But at this point, me being the curious person I am, I tried to look into the woods. Bad decision. The bird noises were now crazy loud, almost like a bird in distress. Now we knew it had to be one of the many cryptids that roamed Appalachia. We narrowed the list to the rake skinwalkers or the windy boy. But we still weren't sure. At this point, there's about five, ten minutes left in gym, and this would be our last lap until we went inside. This time, we heard the bird noises and footsteps, and we saw a huge dark figure that looked like a tree just standing there. It was not there before. Before me or my friend could even think we just ran. We knew it was bad to run, but not worse than what that thing would have done to us. We left school haunted from this encounter. The moment we got home, we fast-timed and talked about it until we found out what cryptid it was. We researched for at least an hour until we found out it was the Windy Boy. I have had more encounters like this, but this one haunts me all the time. And sometimes I still feel like it's watching me. Labor Day of 2015, my mother, my wife, and three children, and I went to a very remote cabin that we rented out. It was an old fire watchman station or something of the sort. So it had the cabin and three other sheds or shops. I'll try to keep it short now, but this is a bizarre story. We unpacked, settled into the cabin, and then decided to walk a couple hundred yards down to the river barefoot in sandals with shorts for all of us. We got down to the pebble shore and were playing or throwing rocks, etc., when I realized there were about snakes everywhere. My wife, Mom, and I yanked up the three kids and boogied off. After reaching a safe distance from them, I went back with a water bottle and caught one in it to see what it was. Turns out we were in a net of diamond-back rattlesnakes. If one of those things latched on to one of my kids, they surely would die. We were about three hours away from any medical facility. We got back to the cabin, and my mom and I went for a hike or walk alone, while my wife calmed the kiddos and fed them lunch. Upon returning about 15 minutes later, all three of my kids and my wife were inside with the doors and windows all closed up, even though we had everything open to cool the place off. We went inside to hear all four of them start yelling about a bear that was about 150 yards from the cabin. 
huffing and puffing at the wife and kids on the front porch, eating. It was down by the river, another thirty yards or so down the hill, that he poked his head up and over from. A few hours go by, and in that time, an ATV passed by three times with two inbred-looking freaks on it, and each time they stopped in front of the gate, onto the property, and stared at us, or the cabin. Keep in mind, we're two hours into the wilderness in Idaho with no sight of a person the whole entire trip except them. We decide it's bedtime for the kiddos as it's pitch black out. Within ten minutes, our son, five at the time, went from being perfectly fine, active, talkative, to having a fever of 103F, slightly foaming at the mouth and being completely unresponsive. That was it. We were leaving immediately and going to seek medical attention. I opened the front door of the cabin to start loading the two cars. By the light of one porch bulb and the headlights on the cars, which were both parked facing the gate, and that's when we all three adults heard about four or six large and heavy animals running all around the cabin and property. There was one on the right side of the house when exiting that I could hear pacing back and forth and breathing heavy. I made everyone stay inside and close the door every time I went outside to transfer stuff to the cars. About four, five trips. I had a stick and a big pot that I was smacking as hard and loud as I could each trip and was yelling loudly at random. As soon as I'm all done loading, I take each kid out individually and load them up between the two cars. They escort my mom out, then wife out. My wife and I were in the lead car. So we pulled up out of the gate, and for some stupid MF reason or another, I felt that I needed to close the gate. So I got out of my vehicle and walked behind it in my mom's car by about 15 feet and closed the gate. Now this gate was literally a log that slid from one post to the other. It offered zero protection or barrier between me and the animals out there. Right as I went to turn around, I heard loud padded footsteps walking up to me, directly in front of me, no more than ten feet. Then I see eyes shimmering from the moonlight as the deepest, scariest growl I've ever heard in my life. I turned and ran so fast that I swear I must have jumped from where I was to the driver's seat up my car, some thirty feet behind me, and as I landed in my seat, I slammed it into drive and spun out, finally leaving. It gets weirder, scarier, though. About 15 minutes down the road, we were still panicking about our unresponsive son, and we both kept having this horrible, evil doom feeling fast, a shadow over us. I looked down and realized I still had that baby rattlesnake in the water bottle, in my cup holder, so I grabbed it and threw it out the window immediately. Not even two minutes later, we hear our son softly crying. We realize he's responsive, and he stated something along the lines of, Why are we leaving? What's going on? He was crying because he was sad to leave. He couldn't remember the last hour or so whatsoever. Quick backstory for what's next. My mother was about 58 years old at the time. She's been a Jehovah's Witness my whole life, plus many more years beforehand, and she is the last person in the world to believe in signs, evil spirits, omens, etc. The next day, my mom broke down extremely bad, sobbing her eyes out, hardly able to talk. She confessed to my wife that the night before we left, she had a nightmare in which we went on the camping trip. We came across snakes, a bear, and a pack of wolves. 
She said she knew a lot of bad things happened at that outpost, and it was full of evil. Most of all, she said one of your kids died. I swear on my life, to this very day. If I ask her who died and how it happened, she immediately starts crying and refuses to tell me or anyone. She lives her life now with a guilt that she willingly ignored her nightmare and put us in the situation, nearly taking one of her dear grandkids away from this world. She doesn't deserve to feel that. I know this sounds all crazy, AAF, but a week later on the local news were reports of a wolf pack in that area. Wolves and bears may not coexist in harmony, but a fake. They do share territories and respect each other. This outpost station of sorts was about one hours into the wilderness from Loman Banks, Idaho, if you want to verify the animals actually exist around there. Sadly, I grew up in the mountains for the most of my pre-early teen years, as did my wife until she was ten years old. I even have a half-sleeve of the wilderness or trees on my left arm. With that said, we don't care to go to the mountains anymore. Thanks for hearing everything out, and I'll leave this too. IDC, if you believe me. This was, or is real to my family's story, and I swear, that night changes a lot of things for us going forward. I was returning from Central Oregon at night over the Santium Pass. There was a light drizzle, but visibility was good. This creature walked out of the trees on my left side and walked across the highway in front of me. It left my sight in the trees to my right. It walked straight up like a man. It was swinging, its arms like a man would. It didn't look like a man in a gorilla suit. What it looked like was a big man covered with fairly short, dark gray hair. Its arms and legs were proportioned the same as a human. In the headlights, it was well illuminated. This creature walked like a man, not a primate. I grew up in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, which is right on the border of Pennsylvania and Delaware. There's a state park close by, Brandywine State Park, where the famous battle was fought during the Revolutionary War. A small part of that park is known as Beaver Valley. From satanic cults to a town full of little people, the number of conspiracies surrounding the place can lead you down quite a rabbit hole. Some people used it as a shortcut when Naaman's Road was backed up, but never at night and never on any of the roads that supposedly harbored evil spirits. Well, one night after getting out of work at around 11 o'clock, I was feeling adventurous. I called my friend Alan to see if he wanted to check the place out with me. He agreed, and within a half hour I had picked him up, and we were on our way. The park is large, and there are multiple roads leading into and out of it. Navigating it can be a little confusing, and cell phone service stinks, so GPS apps don't always work. Alan said he knew his way around, but I didn't really believe him. It didn't matter since I didn't have anything else to do this late at night. Anyway, so driving through the outskirts of the park was a little creepy. A few people lived back there, but there were no street lights at all. The only illumination we had was being cast by my car's headlights. The roads rose and fell and curved often, sometimes sharply, so I had to give driving my full attention. Eventually, we found what we were looking for. Devil's Road, Cossart Road. 
It's called this because of the way that the trees grow along the road and that they all curve away from the road as if they're trying to uproot and escape something that's coming from deeper within the forest. I've heard about it plenty of times, but actually seeing it, well, that's a very different experience. There are rumors of cults practicing satanic rituals here in the woods. Recalling the rumors and seeing the trees, I was starting to feel like I had my fill of weirdness for the night. I was thinking about getting through as fast as I could and getting back out onto one of the larger roads. Then Alan let out a surprised yelp from the passenger seat. He told me that he was looking in the forest beside the car, and he had seen something running along before disappearing into the brush. He didn't know what it was, but he said it could have been a deer or something. I kept driving. I figured out we were three-quarters of the way through when I rounded another sharp curve and I had to slam on my brakes. I almost hit. It's right in front of the car. About ten feet away, shining in the headlights, stood a completely naked man. Now it was January, and the temperatures had been dropping into the thirties lately, so the guy should have been freezing. He was a tall, thin man, filthy with long, matted brown hair and an unkempt beard. He stood staring into the windshield, not shivering or showing any signs of being exposed to the cold. His breath wasn't even fogging. Alan and I sat silently, both too shocked to say anything, and honestly, I was extremely scared. It started to get colder, even inside the car. I started to shiver, and then, a moment later, I was shivering uncontrollably. Alan was doing the same right next to me. I began coming around to what was happening, and I reached down to put the car in reverse. Something was telling me to just get the hell out of there and leave the naked guy standing in the road. But the car would not move. I was pressing the gas, and the engine wouldn't even reverent. I wasn't even sure that the car was on anymore. Now my head was beginning to feel foggy. Strange thoughts and ideas kept forming in my head, but they were slipping away before they could take root. I vaguely remember Alan reciting something that sounded like a Bible verse. As far as I know, Alan isn't particularly religious, and I found it strange that he could quote passages from the Bible. Then the man started to move slowly, stepping backward methodically foot after foot, still staring right into the windshield at me and Alan. He backed away completely out of view of the headlights, and then all that was in front of us was a stretch of empty road. I started warming up immediately, and the fogginess began drifting away. I then saw the eyes ahead on the road coming from where the man had disappeared. It was a pair of narrowed red orbs hovering about eight feet off the road surface. They were moving slowly up and down, as if attached to something moving. A creature slowly appeared, given the light. It had the shape and size of a horse, but the head was a cross between a ram and a man, with curling horns that jutted from both sides in wisps of dark fur. The nose and the mouth were unmistakably human. The fogginess returned tenfold, and I couldn't keep my eyes open any longer. I woke up to banging on my window next to my head. I had an excruciating headache, and there was a light being shined in my face. It was a police officer. We had come to in a small clearing off the roundabout that was three miles away from where we had been. Alan had passed out as well, and neither of us could recall anything. The police officer asked us a lot of questions, and even searched the car for drugs and gave me a breathalyzer test. 
I told him everything, and by the time we were done, he must have just thought we're some kind of weird loonies, and he just wanted to get rid of us. We hadn't really done anything illegal. At least I didn't think so. He let us go. I don't know how we ended up in the clearing, and I don't remember what happened after we saw the thing. I mean, bits and pieces are coming back to me slowly. I'm trying to think of all kinds of excuses. Maybe something was up with my car and we got a non-lethal dose of carbon monoxide or something. I don't know. I can't explain it. Since that night, there are random moments where I feel a sense of overwhelming terror, like something horrible is only seconds away from happening for some reason. I can't get it out of my head, and I have no idea why. I live in Nebraska. One night in July 2021, I was driving from Lincoln to Kearney. I hate driving on the interstate, so I use the highway. I was about to enter the city of Grand Island, about 10 miles out, when my girlfriend saw something on her side of the car. So I looked, and I thought I saw a little girl standing next to a wrecked car. So I stopped, turned around, drove back, parked, and walked back to her. When I was about 20 yards away, she turned, and when she did, I realized that her knees were buckled inward and she was missing half her face. Needless to say, I turned around and hauled my butt away from there. We got to Grand Island and went to the police station. I told them what I saw. They told me that 10 years ago there was a car crash in that spot and the car caught on fire and burned the girl's face along in her brother and mother. When they were investigating the collision, the medical examiner said that the mother and brother died instantly, but the little girl had her knees broken and was burned. She later died because of the blood loss and the damage to the brain. I just wanted to put this story out there. Needless to say, make sure that you get help before investigating something. I don't know too much about the full extent of the sighting, but back in 2001, my dad worked for a farming company and had to help in building a new grain silo. He said that while he was working, he kept getting the feeling he and the others were being watched. He happened to glance up at a tree line close by while grabbing a panel and said he saw something thin and pale staring at him. It didn't make any noise and most definitely wasn't an albino deer or a goat. He kept eye contact with it for about 30 seconds before it backed away and disappeared. He didn't talk about it, but when he and the others went to lunch, one of them brought up that alien-looking F, and my dad said he'd been so bewildered by it that he didn't know what to call it. In my local area, we've had several paranormal events. Aliens, which I have a hard time believing, our own Bigfoot called Murfisboro Mud Monster the Enfield Horror Whistlers, Native Spirits, Thunderbirds, that sort of stuff. My dad only recently told me about this, and I've been searching for what it was called. I definitely think he saw a crawler, and possibly a young one, since it seemed like it was insanely curious. But I don't know, what does everyone here think? My daughter, who was 11 years old at the time, was visiting my parents for the weekend during the summer. They owned 55 acres in the woods in northern Michigan. Most of the property near the home is cleared, 
roughly about seven acres. The rest has sporadic trees here and there, until you get to the back eight acres. Before it gets dark, they like to sit out on their screened-in porch and watch the deer come out to eat, which was done this night. The plan was to wait till the sun went down so she could practice riding her. CT-200 Coleman Bike It is a small bike that only went 20 miles per hour, and it had a decent headlight on it, so it was good for the cleared trails on the property. While her and my dad were sitting on the porch just before sunset, my daughter was watching the open field for deer, but instead she seen something that looked like a white dog moving very slowly. It was roughly 200 yards away from them, and she said, Grandpa, what is that? He looked, and he looked very confused. My dad is a man who has grown up in the woods. He knows every animal and everything possible about where they live. He told her it looked like it could have been a white coyote. It had a similar size, but it didn't look like any coyote he had seen. The body of the creature was very thin, almost bone skinny, and didn't have a tail. He went and quickly grabbed the binoculars from inside the house. He looked and he said it looks really deformed, like a deformed pit bull. It's facing away, so I can't really see its face. It left view and they continued sitting there waiting for dark. When the sun set, my dad made sure to tell her not to go fast because riding at night was something new. He knew that she knew the lay of the land well, but was worried since it was her first time doing laps night riding. When he was done with his safety brief, she took off. As she was riding her way around the property, she had a weird feeling of being watched. But she pushed those thoughts to the side because she assumed it was nerves on top of it being dark in the woods. As she rounded the corner to the straightaway with her light shining down the path, the light from her bike reflected back two eyes. She slowed her bike down, thinking it was a coyote or a deer. As she came slowly closer, she realized it was white. She was frozen in a panic when she realized that this was the creature she and my dad seen in the field. Only this time, she was just feet away. The creature was facing her, and she was able to clearly see its head this time. It was crouching with its long, skinny arms hanging down against its side. It had the head of a human, a human dying of malnutrition. It had a huge chest, and its rib cage was very prominent. What she thought was white fur was skin. It had white skin with gray undertones. It looked like death. Its eyes were half the size of its head and completely reflected the light from her bike. She was still riding towards it, unable to react due to being frozen in fear. The creature's mouth then became clear. It was really big and unnatural. As she got closer, she started to realize that this creature was very tall, tall, like my dad, who is six foot three. She said the long, skinny arms that hung down to its sides had human-like hands. She started to feel sick and woozy. Then she snapped out of it, turned the bike around, and headed back to the house as fast as the bike went.